Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Motor. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? I am doing fantastic, Rob, and I want to make sure everybody knows how fantastic we're doing because the song we're covering, a little bit heavier uh, topic-wise. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to list three things that are going on right now, uh, like within the past 24 hours that are positive and wonderful. Okay. Number one, football season starting up, so we're in preseason football. I love preseason football. This is as we record. As we record. We're middle of the season when we drop it, yeah. but uh, we're recording it in the middle of preseason football here in August. Those of y'all that don't like preseason football, you're wrong. Um, I know people don't get to see their stars, but they're fantastic. Um, thus leading into fantasy football, uh. Uh, which is amazing. Part number two. And number three is we just had uh, some cheese crystals. My goodness. <laughs> man, those make everything better. So there you go. Happy things. Happy times. We're going to keep it positive on a heavier topic because we're covering a song called... Called Jeremy. Jeremy. And we don't have a problem with the name Jeremy. No. We no. don't have a problem with the band. No. Mm-mm. This is a... Uh, well, let's go ahead and... T- I want to preface this and JP mentioned it this is a heavier song and I, I do want to be sensitive to anybody who's listening that this song might pose a problem for because it, it, it's a very serious topic so I want to make sure that you guys know that there's some intense subject matter ahead um, and it's and it's heavy and it sucks um, but and if it, we're joking jovial in our atmosphere yeah. we're not playing light to any yes. of the topic matter that's just the, the type of podcast that we offer. We offer right. a fun, upbeat. We try to provide some positivity on such things. Uh, and we toyed, we actually prepped for this season one. Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, we were like, let's do Jeremy. And then we've just not felt a piece about dropping it. And yeah. we've had requests to do it. We've had people like, hey, do Jeremy by Pearl Jam. And we're like, ah, you know, we don't think. And then we even asked, hey, should we do it? And we've yeah. got a lot of people saying, hey, cover it, you know? Yeah. So this is our attempt on that. And, right. uh, and here and we so go. If, if this subject matter, you know, it gets into... It, it, gets into violence in a school setting and I know that is a very sensitive topic um, and I know that you know somebody listening to the show today may have been affected by situations very similar to what we'll be talking about in the episode today so if that is a if that is a, a negative trigger for you and and you need to you know recuse yourself from this episode we totally understand you get a pass we'll be back next week with something super happy and and we'll do we'll do uh you know um i can see clearly now the rain is gone <laughs> next week you know we'll do yeah. some jimmy cliff um but um but if so anyway we're grateful for each of you who are listening and we would we would uh you know bend over backwards to not offend anyone you know who's listening so if that's if if you take issue with this uh we apologize in advance and uh, we hope you'll forgive us if we cross a line somewhere by by total it'll ignorance be an accident. accident. It'll yes. be an accident. Um, so please don't take any jokes that we make. You know, we're not going to like try to make jokes that yeah, cross the no. line. I'm just saying, if we're to say anything that that strikes you wrong, please know that we're coming it's all, from it's meant a, a, a pure place, and we're and we're just trying to keep it light. 
And uh, one of the criteria that we always talk about to make the great song, the great song podcast, if it comes on the radio and you turn it up, yeah. So this is one when it hits out the gates. I mean, you're going to turn it up. Absolutely. So, like, there's not the volume knobs don't go high enough. <laughs> you know what I mean to turn the song up. So they just happened to write an amazing song about an awful subject. Yeah. Um. So we're going to talk about it. You know, we're going to talk about it, and uh, and we're going to enjoy the song for what it is, and we will condemn the acts therein, uh, and and feel feel sorrowful for all the things that need to be felt sorrow for but we will not apologize for liking the song or for the rockness that is to come yeah so uh, let's get into it this is jeremy by pearl jam So, Which leads into the one of the greatest radio edits of yeah, all time. Yes. I don't know. We probably had similar edits because we're both from Tennessee, but ours was a seemed a harmless little nyerp. <laughs> little nyerp. Ours yeah. was nyerp. I think mine was just a – I think silence. ours was just silence. Yeah, yeah. seemed a harmless little – yeah, Which it, I always wondered why they didn't – I guess maybe Pearl Jam is not the band to go in and – a lot of like hip-hop artists will go in and record alternate a, a lyrics. A different word, yeah. Yeah, so that a harmless little punk would have fit there just Perfect, fine, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, we're trying to keep it family-friendly. So just know there is some explicit there's, and explicit lyric language, in yeah. there, uh, but it's an explicit topic and whatever. East Tennessee, Athenians, y'all will remember. Seems a harmless little nyerp. Nyerp. That's like um, when uh, when I was growing up, they did uh, the Tom Petty song, You Don't Know How It Feels, and they would say uh, – on the chorus, it said, let's roll another joint. Joint, right, uh, and um, they would just reverse it, and it's like, roll another nyoosh. And I always loved, loved <laughs> oh, another nyoosh. Uh, I thought that was better than the original, <laughs> you know. I prefer it that way. If I ever did that song live, you better believe I would sing nyoosh. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so this is from Jeremy's, uh, excuse me, this is from Pearl Jam's first album, 10, released uh, in 1991 on Epic Records. It kind of took a year for the album to catch on, but eventually it reached number two on the Billboard 200. Um, the album was recorded and released before Nirvana's Nevermind, uh, after Nirvana's first album, but it, was, but it was before Nevermind hit, and it was really instrumental in popularizing um, you call it grunge, call it alt rock. Um, I know some of the Seattle cats that didn't necessarily love the term grunge, particularly Pearl Jam, but um, definitely instrumental in whatever you want to call that wave of music. Um, you know, 
And uh, you have, I, I, am I missing anybody here? You've got Pearl Jam, you've got Nirvana, you've got Soundgarden, you've got Alice in Chains. Um, Those are the big ones. That's uh, the heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I almost said, am I thinking Sonic Youth? Were they Seattle too? Candlebox, are they kind of? Oh, yeah, Candlebox was definitely in there. I don't know if they were Seattle-based or not. Um, I almost said Sonic Flood. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, but this album this album is over thirteen times platinum and counting. Like this is just a monster album. In fact, this album is listed in a 2013 readers poll of Rolling Stone's greatest ten debut albums. So this is the the ten bands that made a splash the biggest, uh, made the biggest splash with their first album. And uh, just real quick, I'll go through that list and see if you agree or disagree. Uh, number ten, the Beatles. Please, please me. Kind of hard to argue with. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not their best album by any stretch, but it's the Beatles. Come yeah. on. Uh, number nine, The Killers, Hot Fuss. Yeah, that's my, still my favorite Killers album. Yeah. Uh, number eight, Nirvana's Bleach, uh, which uh, is obviously seminal. You know what I mean? It's not their masterwork, but, you know, whether their debut album. By the way, this said, the article said that that album was recorded in a total of 30 hours. That's amazing. Bleach. That's I mean, fun. and I believe it. You, I, I can it sounds it. like it. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's not a shock, but it's. It's surprising. Um, number what ten nine eight seven? The Jimi Hendrix Experience with Are You Experienced? Yeah. Uh, we've covered that one. If you want to check the archives, we listened to it. Um, number six, The Strokes. Is this it? Number five, The Doors by The Doors. Number four, Van Halen by Van Halen. Number three, kind of a surprise to me, Boston. Boston by Boston. Another uh, season one reference. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two, Led Zeppelin by Led Zeppelin. And number one, a tie, a statistical tie in a reader's poll Wow! Uh, for number one with Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses and 10 by Pearl Jam. Okay. And there we go. Um, Good company. And he won the list. Yeah, one. Um, it is named after, I'm honestly, I've been waiting for this. Okay, oh, you na- me okay. Too. All right. It is named after the jersey number of the man the band was originally named after, and that is NBA standout... Mookie Blaylock. Mookie Blaylock. The original name of Pearl Jam was Mookie Blaylock, who played for the Atlanta Hawks. Who else? I don't even... I I just remember him from Uh, the Hawks. New Jersey Nets. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, yeah. Hawks. Yeah, mainly as a Hawks. Okay, I got a good tie-in to that. Um, I had it later in my notes. We'll throw it out here now. Being named Mookie Blaylock for the jersey number, do you know other bands that were named that changed for the better? Do you have any good ones? Oh, gosh. I'll give a list of some while you're looking some up. Uh, Queen was originally called Smile. Yeah. Creed was originally called Naked Toddler. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! Yes. Oh no! Yeah, it's awful. Uh, Kiss was originally <laughs> originally called Wicked Lester. What? Blue Oyster Cult was originally called Soft White Underbelly. Oh my god! Oh yeah, there's some bad ones. Uh, how about Finger Eleven Rainbow Butt Monkeys? <laughs> Those are just a few. I cannot I... get over naked toddler. Naked toddler. What in the world? Oh man. We were like, we don't want to offend anybody with what we're about to talk about, and they were like, let's talk about Creed being naked toddler. <laughs> like people give Creed a hard time now. Goodness gracious! Imagine if they had man. somehow kept the name naked toddler and gotten popular. Uh, if you wanted another reason to hate Scott Stapp, there you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, man. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Anyway. Jeez, that's that's kind of hard to recover from. Yeah. Uh, I did look up a few Mookie Blaylock facts in your honor. I figured, oh, yes! Yeah. Basketball um, stats. He led the NBA in steals two years in a row, 1996-97 oh, and 97-98, joining, joining Alvin Robertson, Magic Johnson, Allen Iverson, and Chris Paul as the only players to achieve that feat. 
He led the NBA in three-point attempts and finished second in three-pointers made in the 96-97 season. Attempts. He's not shy. Give me the ball. (laughs) That's right. Give me the ball. Uh, He is the Atlanta Hawks' all-time franchise leader in three-point field goals made with 1,050 three-point field goal attempts. 3,023 and steals with uh, 1,321. And he set the Atlanta Hawks single season franchise records for three pointers made and attempted awesome. in 1995 96. Go. Good job. How do you become a Mookie Blaylock fan? That's a, I mean, if you're going to be a fan of any guard on that Hawks team, you pick Spud Webb, right? Yeah, you would think, right? That's a better band name. Yeah, Spud, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how, how they ended up, these guys from Seattle, as Mookie Blaylock. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he played for the Sonics. Did he? Okay, okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So he played right. for the Sonics. I was going to say, I, surely he had to. I think he played for the Sonics. Yeah. Okay. I know Nate McMillan did in that era, but I Nate, think he did. Wow. Anyway. Anyway, I think that's hilarious. You think of this music coming from a band called Mookie Blaylock. Yeah, it's awesome. Just the disconnect. So I think Pearl Jam is much better. Yeah. Um, this album was produced by Rick Parashar, who also produced Temple of the Dog. Uh, there's another Seattle super group, oh, really. We'll have a tie-in with that here in a minute. Uh, Allison Chains, Blind Melon, Dinosaur Jr., and even Nickelback's debut album. Uh, band members have said publicly that they don't like the mix of this album. Um, and they said it's it was overproduced and had too many overdubs. And, and the overarching thing is that it was muddy. It had too much reverb. And so... Um, Actually, what happened in 2000, I want to say 2004, maybe 2008, um, there was a a re-release of the album completely remixed, and they took out some of the things and, and changed the mix fairly significantly in some spaces. So you you can go listen to it. It's called uh, it's called 10 Re- Redux, I guess. Is that how you pronounce it, or is it supposed to be like a French redo? I don't know. Anyway, R-E-D-U-X. Um, and, it's, and it's the same album. It's not re-recorded. It's just totally it's re-mixed. Remixed. And so uh, you can go listen to the... Remixed. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can listen to the to the original versus that one and see which one is your preference. It's a little more updated sound. Um with less reverb and sounds a little bit more 2000, 2000 I think it was 2004 than 1991. Uh, man, this, and this album does not sound like 1991. No, huh? Like, I mean, you think the, the, the bands that were rock bands that were big at this point, you're thinking like poison, right? And Def Leppard, um, still arena rock hair bands. Yeah. 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 And, uh, this sounds so far ahead of that. Uh, I don't. I don't mean ahead in a superior way, just in a Time sonic line. in a sonic way, right? This still sounds like stuff you would hear. You know, it's got the grunge feel, but it's like uh, it sounds way more mature in that process than 1991. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, but I guess they still feel like it maybe had some of that in it you know maybe the the extra reverb and the overproduction they they wanted it to feel a little bit more raw which is shocking because this i mean this whole album feels pretty raw yeah there's not a lot of overproduction there's no delay that i can think of or like anything that's super produced yeah i don't hear anything on here but but apparently it's didn't quite make it to what they're eddie vetter said he doesn't listen to it he can't listen to it now maybe the re-release you know the remix but uh he, he said i can listen to anything but the first album which is shocking, and it's but for for everybody else, it's a landmark. You know what I mean? But they just for whatever reason didn't didn't like the mix. Um, let's talk a little bit about the band. Unless you got anything else on the album, you, you got anything you want to hit on the album? Uh, that's good. I okay. I, I had some hits or other hits on it. Uh, the ten yeah. album, Alive, uh, Even Flows on yeah. here, Oceans. Uh, the cool. I looked up what they did for Oceans, not the worship song, right. but the uh, for the percussion, they use a pepper shaker and a fire extinguisher. 
No kidding. For the uh, for the percussion on that. I thought that, that was kind of cool. cool. That is neat. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, this, I mean, this album ruled, and I, and I mean that by, it was awesome, and it was everywhere. Everywhere. Like, you could not, you could not go a single day, period, without hearing Jeremy, even, even flow, flow, alive, uh, you know, something off this album. Um, and, uh, I mean, it was, whew. you remember that Adam Sandler gag on, uh, Saturday Night Live, where he was doing Eddie Vedder. I don't know if it was an, an Opera Man thing on Weekend Update, where he was. I remember when he did Opera Man. Like, but... <laughs> and it was just all about how you couldn't understand Eddie Vedder's, you know, words or whatever. Um, anyway, uh, good old Adam Sandler. Um, we can go ahead and meet the band if you want. Hey, let's do it. Let's meet okay. the band. Let's meet them early. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. We're going to meet the band of Pearl Jam. Uh, they're actually disbanded Mother Love Bone. Uh, yeah. Jeff Ament and Stone Gossard uh, left Mother Love Bone when their frontman Andrew Wood died uh, weeks before their release, Apple, um, which kind of ended their success. After uh, the death of Andrew Wood, they joined up with another vocalist. Y'all might have heard him. His name's Chris Cornell <laughs> to record Temple of the Dog. No big deal. Uh, yeah, I know, right? And there's a song on there called Hunger Strike. Uh, it's actually a duet with Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder. Yeah, which, amazing song. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about the band. On bass, the aforementioned Jeff, um, Jeff Ament. Uh, Ament. I think it's Ament. Um, Ament. Ament. Like Ament. A, like Ament. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Jeff Ament uh, played basketball at the University of Montana. Huge fan of the Seattle Supersonics. Well, there you go. And he's now an organic farmer. Right. So there you go. Um, on rhythm, I, I bet he's an organic uh, farmer. I'm sure, organic. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, every and in Seattle. Yeah. Come on now, I everything. Bet he is. Yeah, whatever. Um, on rhythm guitar, Stone Gossard, uh, Green River, and Mother Lovebone were his his bands uh, prior to Pearl Jam. Now he's a studio owner. Uh, discovered and released the first album for Queens of the Stone Age. No kidding. Uh, apparently, he's pretty hard to write and record with. Um, he was originally the rhythm guitar player. His name is Stone. I know, right? Uh, originally the rhythm guitarist in Pearl Jam, but now Eddie Vedder actually plays guitar live. So rather than having two guitar players, he just does some like one and two note stuff when they play live. As Eddie Vedder pretty much plays the you know the power chord parts. Um, he did write, uh, he did co-write um, Even Flow and Black. Um, so one of the two guitar players uh, in in Pearl Jam, lead guitar guy named Mike McCready. Um, got inspired, like so many others that we mentioned before, at a Stevie Ray Vaughan concert. So in the middle of couldn't stand the weather, it began to rain, and that got him to play Shut guitar. Up. Are you serious? I, yeah, so that changed his life. He's like, this moment changed That's my life, awesome. which is super cool. I had a moment. It's not nearly that extreme, but I went and saw Mylon Lefevre at, Atla- at Atlanta Fest one year. And you had a fever. No, that would have been amazing, <laughs> but their big album was Crack the Sky, and they came out and started with Crack the Sky, and it lightninged, and they canceled the show. They only did one song. Oh, wow. They're like, come on and crack that literally happened. No way. Yeah, craziest thing. I was like, Mom, did that happen? They're like, yeah, they're canceling the show. Oh, so it was man. Not, not cool. Neat for about 30 seconds, and I'm like, that was kind of a waste of a good show. All right, I'm going to pull out my concert moment like that. Then. Okay. It, just, it just triggered this. I haven't okay. thought about this in literal years. Um, but I was uh, I was at a – it was a Christian music festival in Chattanooga called J-Fest. Uh-huh. And uh, shouts out J-103 and J-Fest. And it was one of the first ones, and my band was playing. We were one of the, like the openers or whatever. And there was another band playing, uh, and Aaron Ralston, who is a, a fan of the show. We've talked about it before. He's now the drummer for Glass Hammer. Uh, he was part of a band then called Blanket. And um, 
they were doing a song of theirs that was kind of big regionally, and um, and it, it it built to this part. They were kind of an acoustic band, but sort of a progressive folk something. I don't know exactly what you call it, but they but they had this song that built to a big sort of cashmere Led Zeppelin thing, and it had like a yelly part on the vocals, you know that kind of like thing, right? And so it's building, <laughs> yeah, right. And so it's building to this. And the yelly part of the song, and right as they hit this song in the middle of this festival, these three black helicopters fly over from behind the stage, like in formation, perfectly centered oh, to the man. stage. Had nothing to do with the show, but it felt incredible. Huge. Yeah, yeah, like that's, awesome. that's the day I got inspired to become a helicopter pilot. <laughs> I never did it, but that's, I was inspired that's to. Great, that's so good. Uh, Mike McCready, known for playing, okay, get this, a left-handed strat with reversed strings. So the slanted bridge pickup has more treble on the lower string. Huh. So it's kind of Hendrix style. It's just opposite. Yeah. Because Hendrix is left-handed and plays a right-handed guitar. Yeah. Kind of. It's like that for a right-handed person. Yeah. He plays a left-handed strat with the strings backwards. Okay. I know, right? It's just it's the weirdest thing. It's yeah. it's weird looking. Um, had Crohn's disease, but we won't talk about that. We'll go on to his pedal board. Um, Dunlop, Dunlop, Crybaby, Wah. Hughes and Kettner Rotosphere, Ibanez Tube Screamer, which everybody has, Full Tone uh, Distortion Pro, Boss DD2 Digital Delay, Line 6 DL4, Line 6 MM4 Amplification, um, through a, or uh, Line 6 MM4, and his amplification is a 1959 Fender Twin Tweed Head Ooh. through a 1959 Fender Bassman Tweed Cabinet. Oh, wow. So that's like... Dude, that's cool. It's taking it back, which that's is very cool. awesome. Yeah. So, I always like to talk gear, and I, I really enjoyed looking up his gear on, on this album. Uh, vocals, Eddie Vedder, son of Karen Vedder and Edward Severson, uh, was raised by Karen and her husband, uh, Mueller, thought his stepfather was his dad um, until later in life he found out that Severson was his dad, huh. um, which is but kind of a neat little story, but his dad had died of multiple sclerosis. He met his dad when he was young, but he thought he was just a friend of his mom. Wow. But that was actually his dad. Um, okay. So that's kind of an interesting take on the childhood of Eddie. I wonder if that has anything to do then with the lyric in Alive about there's a line about what you thought you was your daddy. I can stand uh, up and read it if you want me to. It was nothing but a something. I can't remember. Can get to it. I don't know. Anyway. Maybe for another episode. Another, another dad. Yeah. Another, another dad, another day. Another day. Another day. <laughs> um, second album was called Ukulele Songs. All the songs on ukulele. Do you hear it? All on uke. Whose album? Eddie Vedder's second album. Oh, his second solo album. Oh, yeah, I guess with okay. Uh, in the movies, Singles and Dewey Cox Walk Hard. Uh, influence, Soundalikes. Some people compare him to the Jim Morrison growl. Think similar? I mean, if you got to. I don't if you, know. If you got it. Uh, Weird Al song, My Baby's in Love with Eddie Vedder. Yeah. How about it? Anytime we could do a Weird Al tie-in. That's right. Um, good buddies with Pete Townsend um, of The Who. Talked him out of retirement in 1993. He was going to retire. Really? Um, but he's like, don't give it up, man. Keep going. Pete Townsend. He, he talked Pete Townsend out of retirement? Reverse it. Pete Townsend, Pete Townsend talked Eddie, Eddie Vedder, Vedder out of, out of retirement, retirement. Yep. in 1993. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's awfully young, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess that story's right. Hopefully I'm not reversing that. I might be reversing well, that. I, I it, would, it would make more sense. I have trouble with it both ways, to be honest. Either I, way. I have trouble imagining Pete Townsend caring enough about Eddie Vedder in 1993 Right, like maybe. maybe they had some weird some connection that, or they were he, just, he just, I don't know, or it was like, big hey, and... don't give up, kid. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Or, 
or also the other way. Don't you give up, Mr. Townsend? Right, you're doing so fantastic. Yeah, like it, there's it, still more to share. Either way requires them to have some sort of emotional connection. I feel like for 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 Eddie Vedder to have enough like emotional cash to be able to you make know, a difference, to speak to Pete Townsend yeah. and can yeah keep him from retiring. Yeah. Anyway, good job, whoever helped the other person. Yeah, somebody helped somebody, and I'm glad. This They're is all motiv- you guys go out there and talk somebody else out from not giving up on That's their right. dreams. Either either talk to somebody who's just up and coming in your profession, or talk to and somebody who's pro. an old timer in your profession. Now, if you think you're the pro and you talk to somebody and they're like, "Who are you?" Yeah, that might backfire. That's but, true. Uh, make make a difference. Um, he was actually by Johnny Ramone's side when he died. He was really like, right beside him. He was the friend. Wow, that was with him, yeah. Um, in 2005, he was nearly lost at sea. I love this fact. While try- he was trying to paddle a canoe from Molokai to Oahu, and he was just gone for wow. long. Almost got lost at sea. Wow, that's we almost didn't have any uh, Eddie Vedder in no 2005. Huge Bears, Bulls, and Cubs fan. Uh, he was right there with John Cusack and Bill Murray at the Cubs game in Game Seven in 2016. Yeah. Um, in 19, so big of a Cubs fan. In 1993, he and White Sox pitcher, pitcher Jack McDowell got in a barroom brawl. Shut up, which is awesome because nobody likes the White Sox if you're a Cubs fan. <laughs> big buddies still to this day with Chris Chelios uh, and Dennis Rodman, um, and he wrote the song "All the Way" dedicated to the Cubs. Um, so, favorite Cub of all time? I don't know if you got one. Favorite Cub? Of all, that's got to be Ryan Sandberg for me, probably. Go Rhino. Yeah, yeah, I'm going Sean Dunstan. Sean Randy, Dunstan, closely okay. followed by Andre Dawson, the Hawk. Okay. So yep. there you go. All right. Oh, wait, on drums, Dave Crewson. Only album with Pearl Jam is 10. This one. This is the only one he played drums on. Oh, and he did play with Candlebox. Weird. On oh, Far Behind. That's yeah. That's big hit. So I love that, that song. Maybe that's, why that, uh, maybe that's why that triggered that. And he was replaced by um, Ben Cameron, right, from Soundgarden? Could have been. Or is that – I know currently ben, ben Cameron, I think, plays for Pearl Jam. I don't know if that was the immediately right or – Right after. Yeah. Only plays Pasty Symbols and Vader 5B Wood Tip Sticks. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Matt Cam- Matt Cameron. I said Ben Cameron. Okay. Uh, has been their drummer since 1998. So a little bit later. Okay. Not my far. Seven years or so after. So that's the band. Um, that's the meet the band yeah. of uh, of uh, Pearl Jam. I do want to tie in one real thing yep. here and ask you the question because uh, we talked about the two guitar players. Rolling Stone ranked uh, Gossard and McCready on this album the number eight. Of four armed monsters, as they're called, which is best bands with two guitarists. Okay, can you you think you can name any of the top three? Mm. I got the top three, and then I've got just some of my favorites. Okay, so best bands with two two lead guitar players, lead guitar players, solid guitar. Okay, so Metallica. Metallica did not make the list, but they're on my list. Okay. Kirk Hammett and James Hatfield. I wrote down three that were mine that didn't so make. The is list. this the kind of list that would include the Beatles? Did not include the Beatles. Okay. Probably should have. Well, At least the I, top three didn't. Okay, yeah. You're uh, on the right. F- number one. Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. Okay. Keith Richards and Brian Jones. Okay. Number two, um, same last name, same family. Uh, Angus and Malcolm Young. Okay. Oh, ACM. yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. And number three, we covered them in season one. Um, hey, there's so many. You could, uh, lead singer plays a bass, big bass drum. Aerosmith? Aerosmith. Joe <laughs> okay. Perry and Brad Whitford came okay. in at number three. All right. Um, the two that I had on here that I don't know if you can really count them, but I'm su- they would have made my list. Obviously, you know one. I'll say it because it's the JP favorite. Sticks. I'm going to okay. go James J.Y. Young and Tommy Shaw. I'm surprised I didn't see Derek and the Dominoes mm. on there because that's Clapton, Dwayne Allman. Yeah. I would call them a group, right? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know why that one didn't make the 
Didn't make the top three, but anyway. Mm, interesting. So anyway, good job, uh, McCready and Gossard coming at number eight on that's that list. Stout, that's, that's and good. I and I think that's fair. I mean, that's it's good. that's good company. Real I mean, real powerhouse uh, duo there. Um, by the way, I love the name Mother Love Bone. I wish yeah. that had stuck around. <laughs> yeah. Like I just think that's I think that's a <laughs> great name. I don't know. It feels it just feels good. Um, who are your who are your favorite bands in the sort of grunge movement? Did you have a favorite? Mine is Soundgarden. Not far. Clearly. You know what I mean? And then and then Pearl Jam. Um, and actually, maybe Pearl Jam might come third to Alice in Chains for me. Can I go weird with the, the t- with the tie-ins of yeah. these bands that we're talking about? I know you hate them, and it's not this era, and it's a super group, but I really like Velvet Revolver. Okay. Which is not grunge. No. And it's not... But, has nothing to do with this conversation at all. Yeah, it right? does. It's cool because the the tie in with the lead singer. That's a uh, stuntable pilot, right? Scott Wyland. Scott Wyland. Okay. Yeah. Which well, I guess. Well, I, was, I mean, they were grunge. Yeah, I guess they true. were yes. kind of. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nope. I'll put stuntable that's pilots fair. in that. Okay. Would you put crash test dummies in grunge? Era? No, gosh, no. Okay. Okay. Good. Grunge era, yes, era, but, but not, not grunge. Stylistically, okay. no. Good. They I were more make... of a folk. Yeah. Yeah. Alternative folk. Alternative folk. Yeah. Yeah, but I would put stuntable pilots in there. But I'd still, I'd probably put Pearl Jam at the top of it. Yeah. You say your Soundgarden? Yeah, Soundgarden's super unknown album for me is. I, I listened to it just recently, top to bottom. I just stinking love that album so much, man. I just ugh. and then uh, they had uh, Bad Motor Finger before that. But those two albums, oh man, so good. Outshined. So anyway, rock and roll. Um, all right, let's do this thing. Let's talk a little bit about the song itself. Okay, let's get um, a little heavy. It was released in 1992. Uh, the, the album was out in 91, but this was uh, the third single from the album 10. It reached number five on the Billboard mainstream and modern rock charts, and a re-release in 1995 as a single made an appearance at number 79 on the Hot 100. Um, it was nominated for two 1993 Grammys for Best Rock Song and Best Hard Rock Performance. And uh, it was inspired by two real-life stories. Um, the first of Jeremy Wade Dell, a high school student who shot himself in front of his classmates in 1991 in Richardson, Texas. Um, this is from Wikipedia. Uh, on January 8, 1991, Jeremy Dell, a 15-year-old sophomore, shot himself with a, Smith's, with a Smith & Wesson model 19-4357 Magnum revolver in front of his second-period English class. Dell's peers described him as real quiet and known for acting sad. Um, Dell was tardy that morning, and after going to his second-period class, he was told to get an admittance slip from the school office for arriving late. Dell left the classroom, but instead of going to the school office, he went to his locker where he had the revolver concealed and returned to the classroom with it. He walked to the front of the classroom and announced as his last words, Miss, I got what I really went for, and then he put the barrel in his mouth and pulled the trigger before anyone could react. Um, a classmate said she knew him from the from the in-school like suspension program, and she said he and I would pass notes back and forth, and we would talk about life and stuff. Uh, she said he signed all of his notes right back. Uh, that's W-R-I-T-E, like please write back. Um, but on uh, the, the Monday before he wrote Later Days, I didn't know what to make of it, but I never thought this would happen. Um, Eddie Vedder read about this in the newspaper. Uh, he said it came from a small paragraph in a paper, which means, and this is where I think the song takes on another, it goes beyond just kind of the story of what happened. And really the, the video itself, which we'll talk about in a minute, plays into really his thinking behind the song, even more so than it comes across in the song. Um, He said, it means you kill yourself and you make a big old sacrifice and try to get your revenge, um, but that all you're going to end up with is a paragraph in a newspaper. You know, this kid did this big 
gesture and this big moment, and it gets a small paragraph in the newspaper. Um, he said, 64 degrees and cloudy in a suburban neighborhood. That's the beginning of the video, and it's the same thing in the end. It does nothing. Nothing changes. The world goes on, and you're gone. Um, the, he said, the best revenge like is quote. to live right. on and prove yourself. Be stronger than those people, and then you can come back. Um, and so th- that at least offers a little bit of, you know, um, I guess encouragement. It may not be hope exactly, but a little bit of, of something to latch onto with the song that is not quite so heavy. You know what I mean? That, that it's really an encouragement to try and, um, endure, you know, hardship rather than allow yourself to, to get to the point where you feel like your only recourse is to, is to end it. Um, the second incident that inspired the song was actually a junior high kid that Eddie Vedder actually knew. Um, he said, uh, and if you think sort of about the second verse of the song, I feel like that's where this is sort of inspired. Um, he said, I actually knew somebody in junior high school in San Diego that did the same thing just about. Uh, didn't take his life, but ended up shooting up an oceanography room. I remember being in the halls and hearing it, and, and I had actually had altercations with this kid in the past. Um, I was kind of a rebellious fifth grader, and I think we got in fights and stuff. So it's a bit about this kid named Jeremy, and it's also a bit about a kid named Brian that I knew. Um, and I don't know. The song, I think it says a lot. He said, I think it goes somewhere, and a lot of people interpret it different ways. And it's just recently that I've been uh, talking about the true meaning behind it, and I hope no one's offended. And believe me, I think of Jeremy when I sing it. Um, I think he's in a good – I mean, I think he's in as good a place as you can. I mean, when he says this, I, I think his heart and head sure. in the right place. I think yeah, he's doing, I, I, w- I would never – I don't think he was glorifying it. In right, uh, or, or exploiting it for mm-hmm. gain. I think it's a real – I mean, these stories are something to be disturbed by, mm-hmm. right? These, these, these you know, tragedies are something to be – I mean, they, they should evoke a reaction in you, right? Absolutely, and, and, the, and the timeliness of us dropping them now. I mean, there's things going on yeah. right now in America yeah. that this is, you know, it's not – it didn't stop in 91, right. you know, or even – Later in 96, with the whole Barry Lucatus shooting at the school, who said he was inspired by edited version of this video. Yeah. Like, there's, it didn't, it's not stopping. It's still going. We're in the right. 2019s. And, and, and these things that, you know, God willing will, will end, right? Like, it, it would be the best case scenario that these things never happen ever again. Um, but, but should these things, when when things of this nature or or anything of this kind happen, it should shock us, right? It should never. It stop. shouldn't feel normal. Yes. it shouldn't be like ah, it's just normal. Right, it just happens. It should it should always shake us and go. Something has to change, you know. And and whatever your whatever your system is of of change, whatever your vehicle is for change, we should all try and do what we can to prevent things like this from happening, right? And so, this is his way of processing these things and also saying. You know, let's let's try to be better than this. You know, let's reach out to Jeremy before something like mm-hmm. this happens, right? Let's you know, um, let's be the person that is the is the person that um, the the troubled person can reach out to. You know, what I'm saying, even though <clears throat> just just to you know, you never know what that little relationship is going to be like if you if you're you know if you can be the one that reaches out to somebody who's a loner, uh, who's the quiet one. You know, you never know what that relationship can mean to them. Um, so I think that is kind of what he's going for is is for people who feel like, man, that could be me. Jeremy could be me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on my on my worst day that, you know, let let somebody reach in 
and and kind of into your world and somebody that you can pour yourself out to find a um, you know an organization or a somewhere that you can belong because that's part of what we find is in these situations that people just don't feel like anybody understands anybody belongs. He talks about in the lyrics of this, um, you know, daddy, daddy wouldn't give attention. And, and the boy was something that mommy couldn't wear. You know what I mean? He sort of self-absorbed parents who, you know, didn't give him the, uh, the underpinning that he, you know, needed and didn't pay any attention. And, um, so anyway, I, I think what Eddie's going for in this song is that let's try to rise above this. Let's try and, a, get some help if we need it, and then B, be the help to somebody yeah. else. You and, know? I'll, and I'll tell you, in the be the help category, we talk a lot about there. We mentioned there a section about if you find the quiet one. Heck, just be friends to everybody. Like, try to be friends with people. Some people hide behind humor and loudness yeah, and true. voluminous out front. Just because just you're the not the quiet guy in the room don't mean you still need a friend. You That's know? true. So Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of people out there that, that mask behind that. There was actually an original misconception in the video is that he shoots up his classmates, right? Um, but they wouldn't let him. It's because they wouldn't let him show him putting a gun in his putting, mouth and yeah. pulling a trigger. So there was a big misconception tied in with the video. Yeah. Um, but the video, original video, helped it gain popularity, but it was later rejected by Epic and MTV. Um, right. And there were two two versions. The first version was kind of basic with just a band performance, uh, and the second video is the one that you probably associate with the song, and it's got the kind of. Um, it, you know, it's got the kind of eerie colors in the classroom and that kind of thing. And it's just very uncomfortable. The whole, the whole thing is, is very, it's very evocative and it's very strong and well done. And it definitely puts you in an uncomfortable place as a listener and as a viewer. Um, and uh, it, it was directed by Mark Pellington. Uh, it, it actually won four MTV Video Music Awards, including Best Group Video, Best Metal, Hard Rock Video, Best Direction, and Best Video of the Year, uh, for which it beat out. Uh, REM's Man on the Moon, Peter Gabriel's Digging in the Dirt, En Vogue's Free Your Mind, and Aerosmith's Living on the Edge. Man. Uh, it, was a, it was a real yeah. landmark video. And then after this, uh, Pearl Jam stopped making music videos. They, um, after the controversy with this one, they said, well, if, if we can't do what creatively we want to do, we just won't bother. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think to this day they don't make music videos for their songs. I can't think of any that I, I mean I guess they're not I don't want to say they're not super relevant now but I haven't seen them putting out a lot of new stuff here right. lately they've kind of reached into like Grateful Dead territory at mm-hmm. this point where yeah. like they're your Pearl Jam people mm-hmm. you know what I mean Absolutely. and they'll do anything they'll any- sell out Wrigley Field yeah. like let's just be honest every right. time they do yeah, that yeah yeah and, and, and it's like you've got your you've got your your um Super fan groups, right? You've got your Grateful Dead groups. You're you're like Jimmy Buffett, you know, your oh, Barrett heads, that yeah, kind of thing. Good. I feel like Pearl Jam has that same kind of following. That mm-hmm. it's like these people are are diehard. Anything that Pearl Jam does, you know, they released however many live albums on the same day that one time, you know, and it's just people live for it. It's almost they they make their money from touring and concerts and whatever as opposed to uh, new releases, which they still do. But mm-hmm. I, but I think their following now is largely let's go see Pearl Jam in concert. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that kind of thing akin to Grateful Dead, Jimmy Buffett. It's not their new radio songs that are driving uh-huh. their yeah. livelihood yeah. You know, at this point. So I guess we'll talk a little bit about the song itself, a little bit more in terms of musically. Um, yeah. From a theory standpoint, the instrumentation on this. Uh, Jeff Ament, who we spoke of <laughs> earlier. Ament. For his, uh, tw- they wrote this song, written for him a chance to use his 12-string hammer bass. Yeah. So uh, those of y'all have never seen a 12-string, uh, first time I saw one was Doug Pinnock of King's X played yeah. one, which is super cool. Um, a typical bass, if it's a four-string, is E-A-D-G. 
And this basically just triples each of those notes. Right. So you've got like three E's, three A's, three D's, and three G's, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, and I have no idea how you physically use all of it. Yeah, I feel like your fingers must have to be huge, yeah. you know, to be able to cover that. My back hurts just thinking about holding <laughs> it up. It feels heavy. Basses okay. are heavier than guitars. Yeah. And then let's add some strings and some technology wow. and some, some wiring. But that sound that you hear at the beginning, the boom, doom, 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 is played on a bass guitar. It's played on a bass guitar only. It's yeah. not a bass plus other stuff. It's a 12 string bass uh-huh. that really gives it that ringing, chiming, it kind of gives it an automatic chorus because it's hard to keep all those in tune 100% with each other. Yeah. So uh, it just... 440-ish. Yes, it's, <laughs> exactly. It's a thick sound, thick, thick, thick sound. And uh, you get it like somebody from, like Doug Pinnock from King's X who uses one uh, basically all the time. All the time. And, uh, and it runs some distortion through it like he does and it is a really monster sound without any other instrumentation. And, and so you can have a three-piece that makes sense yeah. with him and Tate Bohr and Jerry, and it, it, yeah. it works because that does so much. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah, Right, the bass is screaming all uh, the time, yeah. you know, and growling the whole time. The bass plays the song yeah. and, and the drums, and then you have guitar solos. Yeah. Like guitar parts on top yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to say something about this song that I don't ordinarily say, and that is I love the lyrics. Oh, well, here we go. I feel like the lyrics to this song are brilliant. Uh-huh. Uh, they are... First of all, you get the you get the, the the first verse, you know, at home drawn pictures, and it's very childlike. Paints a picture, right? It's, arms raising a V. It's, it's innocent, yeah. and then you get and then you get the line about and the dead lay in pools of maroon below, and you go, something's off, <laughs> yeah, right? Something's yeah. wrong here. Um, and, and I'll give Rob props on his lyric knowledge of this. He even knew how they spelled lemon, yellow sun. Yeah. He's like, is it L-E-M-I-N? I'm like, I don't think so. And I opened the liner notes and read them, and sure enough, he's right That's on. Right. I remember that from that was, reading, was like, the, cow, Rob. reading the lyrics in 1993. That yeah. always stuck with me that That's lemon amazing. was spelled L-E-M-I-N in the yeah. liner notes. For those of y'all that don't know how to normally spell lemon, it is. <laughs> Root um, of origin. So, right, yes. Um, and, and then the chorus is one line. Lyrically, it, but it says everything, right? Jeremy spoke in class today. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Like, I mean, that literally says the whole song uh-huh. in one line. Yeah. It tells you who Jeremy was, and it tells you what Jeremy did. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That was outside the norm. That was outside, yeah. Like, it says so much, um, and I just think that's really well done. And then the second verse, you, you know, I, I remember picking on the boy, um, and it, the line about he gnashed his teeth and bit the recess lady's breast is such a weird line. It's un- It's like, but you just see this. You see this kid snapping and 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 having a moment where he just kind of turns into an animal, you know, and this sort of like visceral, like why would you even do that? You know what I'm saying? And, and but but it but it adds to the depth of the song and to the to the you know the character if you will i know this is based on like real people but like he's he's also painting a picture here um i just think it's incredible and then he says um you know the line about uh basically they were they were fighting and he he hit me with a surprise left and my jaw left hurting dropped wide open just like the day i heard that this had happened. Uh-huh. That's an incredible, it's so cinematic, right? Yeah. You see him like holding his jaw wide open 
and then and then cut to fade into a scene of him with his jaw dropped, having heard the news of what's happened at yeah. the school. Just I just think that the whole lyric of this is a plus plus. You know, so well done. The way he screams to try to forget this. Oh, oh man, it's come like, on, goodness gracious. Yeah, even the 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 ad lib stuff that he does yeah. is is yeah, it adds so much to the to the storytelling of the song. Not to mention you've got this relentless driven uh, you know, groove and and these chords that are um it's not a hard progression or anything like that. Really it's you know the the verse is um like just a major A major chord. And I, we've talked in our Facebook group about songs that sound happy uh-huh. but but are about terrible subject matter. Yeah. This is like maybe king of those, right? Because um, you want to get excited and fist your pump your fist in the air yeah. with like, yeah. Yeah. But it's not like, like, oh, oh no, man. Yeah. This is about a terrible thing. I don't really know what to do with it, uh-huh. you know? Um, but um, yeah, I think just the, the lyrics and music work together perfectly in this to, to get the song where it's, where it's trying to go. Um, a, just a little bit of theory uh, before we close up shop here. Um, it's interesting because this song is in A major, um, but the chorus drops to chords that would really belong in the key of A minor. Uh, it drops to an F major, D minor, E minor, um, and, um, and those are all natural chords to the key of A minor, but none of them are all naturally occurring in the key of A major. Um, but that kind of movement and resolution is really powerful. Um, and actually, this is a weird thing to say, but one of my favorite examples of the same type of chord movement is from, is from somebody I don't think we've ever mentioned on the show, and it may surprise you that I even like it. But how about a little puddle of mud uh, okay. from the Blurry. song Blurry? Yeah. Yes, I can't take it all away. Yeah. That's the same kind of thing. It drops to what would be, if you're in, if A is the one, it would really be a flat six mm-hmm. and a flat seven. And then back up to the major one. Um, and uh, I think that's another song that pulls that off really, really well. Um, I, I, I'm I a big fan of that feel. Mm-hmm. The the flat six to the major one, the resolution of what should be a minor third to a major, major third, third in the melody. Uh-huh. Like, I, I really... I dig that. That's a way to get me. If you want me in your <laughs> corner, you can you can just do that, and it'll go a long way. Um, and then just go, oh, uh, rah, 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 at the yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah. Man, what else? I got I got one more thing before we close up shop and uh, whatever. Add add some add a little bit of levity back into the... Uh, bring it, end it on a, on a high note. All right, all right. On a, on a top note. Uh, I just thought about, I was thinking about the, the top songs, the most popular songs, most well-known songs that are just named after people, okay? And there are millions of these so so hit us up online at uh facebook.com slash groups slash great song pod or just search uh great songs and the great people who love them greatly hit us up on twitter instagram let us know your favorite songs that are named after people because there's i've got a list of maybe 10 to 15 here but there's literally like thousands right um so i'll just hit you with some if you think of any if these trigger any just come back at me okay let's start with uh how about clint eastwood by gorillas um billy jean Michael Jackson, Eleanor Rigby, yeah. Um, how about a little police action? Roxanne, uh, Layla, Ross Can, <laughs> um, Sweet Caroline, right? Ah, bump, bump, bump. Let's do that one. That's yeah, absolutely. That's as far as I went. I think that's the only one that that adds. Oh no, I've got one other that has a descriptor. I tried to stick with the ones that are just names, right? But uh-huh. that one is Sweet Caroline, uh, Lola, Maggie May. 
Barbara Ann, the Beach Boys action, Peggy Sue, Buddy Holly, um, Rosanna by Toto, Jack and Diane. That's a two for one. Double. John Mellencamp, Johnny B. Good, uh, Louie Louie. How about Mickey by uh, Tony Basil? Is B his middle initial and Good is his last name? Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's the implication. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not telling him to be good. Um, Let's see. Mickey by Tony Basil, and I'll close out the list with a little Jim Croce. How about some bad, bad Leroy, Leroy Brown? Brown? Well, don't mess around with Jim. There you go. Oh, yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Stuff. I like that, guys. Well, thank you so much for hanging with us. Uh, I'm glad we did this. Hopefully we covered it in a way that was fun and acceptable. We enjoyed it. Um, we thank you guys for listening out there. Um, make sure you check us out online at... Yeah. At greatsongpodcast.com and the aforementioned great songs and the great people who love them greatly. It's a fun group on Facebook we got going on. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at greatsongpod and uh, just let us know. What do you want to hear next? What do you think of the episode? What do you think about the show? Uh, What did we get wrong? Tell us where we blew it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Tell us why we're idiots. and, uh, just say something to us. We love the interaction. Absolutely. Love hearing. I don't com- comment much because I don't have a Facebook, but I read everything. <laughs> Reads everything. Everything. So. Uh, I send him faxes. That's right. I send him faxes of all the screenshots. That's right. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's so. great. So uh, we'll be back at you with another song as season four rolls along, man. We're really, really trucking along in season four here. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.